Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, Shalom Lechem. Welcome to tonight's amazing share. This is our Rosh Hashanah share. We're getting ready over here. We started Slichus last night. Tonight is Shear 117 with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. And uh, we're Zoycha to be here for, for, for such a long time. And we have Schuss to have everybody with us here tonight. We appreciate them coming on. Again, I start off every week first thanking everybody that uh, promotes it, lets people know about it, the email to the friends, the WhatsApp it, you know, and uh, it grows with people coming here every Sunday night, we mechazek each other, to get sich uh, and get and get chizik. So, for coming on every week and letting people know about it. If anybody wants to join every Sunday, you can WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Again, that's 848-525-0066. You can go to menachembernfeld.com. You can sign up to get his weekly flyers with... Uh, for the emails, the shirim, the flyers with all the speakers and the replay, Mr. Shem. And um, all the people that are watching the replay, make sure to subscribe to Coach Menachem. So every every Monday morning, you get the link with the, with the information. Again, it's like to start first thanking all the advertising sponsors here, the Lakewood Scoop, Robin Yanit from Chazak, Elian Ariel Sharon from Five Town Central, and Kyle Kaufman from JCN, the Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us across all the digital Jewish platforms. If anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30, and this is my D, different topics, different rabbonim, different therapists. Tonight we brought out from the G'daylam with us to, to give us the, get us ready for Rosh Hashanah. We brought out the best of the best. Uh, next, next week, Mitchem is going to be Sunday night Rosh Hashanah, so we're not going to have the, the shir, but the following Sunday, October 2nd, we're going to have, have a big program. We're just going to share the flyer with everybody. Okay, so next Sunday, Mitchem, not next Sunday, October 2nd, there'll be a, a shir with together in conjunction with Kesha Nafshi, people that are dealing with struggling teens. We're very involved with that program. I'm sure you've heard about it before. If you hear, it's going to be uh, starting at nine o'clock with Rabbi Moshe Weinberger, um, and then it's going to be Rabbi Shimon Russell pre-recorded, Rabbi Yaakov like Jacobson pre-recorded. They're both going to be traveling at the time, but they're going to leave the message. And uh, and Rabbi Shimon Noyachlanda, the Rebbe, the Rebbe, is going to be here. He's an unbelievable person. So please join us to get to, to get ready for Yom Kippur together with that. What's that? And the, and the topic of the show is called Kirachim of Abadam Rachim Hashem the way to connect Hashem's mercy in Yom Kippur. That's that's the point of the shir. Let people know about it. Again, tonight we have the first honor of having the Gedolim here in Lakewood. Hmm? The road from Forest Park, we're very done with us. The Shem is a Kazakh Gedolim, it's an amazing event. The Shem will be helping thousands, thousands of people. Menachem, am I clear? Am I coming? Good, okay. Yeah. Here's 117. came up the Gematria. It stands for the and that uh, Hashem and have the you know the and that's why we should go to Hashem with such a belief in Hashem. And uh, we're gonna open up first with Coach Menachem Berenfeld. Uh, what we're talking about tonight, Rosh Hashanah, Menachem. Oh. So I want to welcome everyone. Welcome everyone to another. Let's get real. Abak Hashem, we're up to uh, number one seventeen. A lot of siyata d'shmaya. And we have the supposed to have with us Rabbi Deutsch, the Rav from Forest Park, Kimitshim, to uh, help us, guide us, give us some physic, and get ready. We did start Slichus, and we're way into Elul. Another few days is Rosh Hashanah. And there are some people who are wondering if maybe it's too late. 
to get ready. But we're going to hear tonight in Mitzvah Shem that it's never too late. There are some people who are not sure how, not sure how to take it, what to do, confused. Then there are those people who they don't know, they don't want to think about it. Just let me continue with my regular routine because it's too hard. So there are those who think about it that are not sure, those who don't think about it. And hopefully if you're here tonight, it shows that there's a there's a want to know more to how to connect. So Mitzvah Shem will be able to um, find the right connection in Mitzvah Shem. I want you to, before we start, to just to imagine that you're, you're just, you're a Balchuva. And you're starting off, you realize how, how your Jewish neighbors are unbelievable, and you want to become Jewish. And you're asking them, you know, what's coming up, and they tell you Rosh Hashanah. What's Rosh Hashanah all about? So I'm, I'm just, you know, think, what, what are they going to tell you? What would your Jewish neighbor tell you? What's Rosh Hashanah about? How would they give it over to somebody who has never heard about Rosh Hashanah before? Or I'll ask you, if somebody asks you, somebody is becoming from now, doesn't know anything about it. How would you give over Rosh Hashanah? It's a good way to, to think of how, what, first of all, we pick up many ideas from many years. Baruch Hashem, you know, we grew up from, and many years Rosh Hashanah, everybody picked it up a different way from their, from their home, from their school, and Wherever you are now, whatever you feel now, is all based on the past experience. But if you take that all away, and you want to know just basic, like a beginner, what is Rosh Hashanah? What would you answer your neighbor? What would you tell him? You probably wouldn't try to make him scared or anxious. You tell him we spend a day, two days in shul, and uh, all we say, you know, it's, it's a, a day of judgment, connection. We sit and say, Hashem, you are our creator. Or whatever it is, it's just a good idea to think, what would you answer? How would you look at it? And the reason why it's important is to see what are the ideas, what are the beliefs that we picked up? And for some people that are struggling, they might need to speak to someone to help them to maybe make small changes to understand what Rosh Hashanah is all about so that they don't go in all lost or maybe they don't want to think about it from their past experience. It's something they don't want to think about. I'll just do what I need to do. I'll daven, I'll eat the Suda and finished. But there's so much more to it. We just have to realize what we picked up and some of the things might have to be tweaked. So tonight, Baruch Hashem, we have this first to have Rabbi Deutsch with us, which you can get to ask your questions. Try to find out, are those things that you believe, are they right? Or maybe maybe there's a different perspective, different perception, different way of looking at it. So it can make it a little bit easier with a more positive outlook so that we can go into Rosh Hashanah with the right perspective so we can pick, take what we need and grow from it to become closer to Hashem and Mitz Hashem. So thank you very much, Avodosh, for being with us tonight. And Mitz Hashem, we shall have a lot of siyata de shmaya. Hey,
let's get into it. And um, before we start again tonight, we're talking about how to prepare yourself for Shana, focusing in relationship with Hashem. And Hashem tonight should be a big chizik for everybody listening, all the people in Hashem that will watch it later. Thousands of people in Hashem. Tonight we're going to share first. Let's take a and also the sheer sponsor for a girl, Hena Perel, a seven year old girl battling cancer. The family is now watching this year. And uh, we're going to say a little to together for her. Menachem, we're going to do Kof Kof Aleph 121. And let's all say a little to Let's put it on the thing. One second. Right there. Yeah. Okay, Menachem, you start. Okay, Okay, so again, tonight, let's have any inspiration to change the couple of tonight to do a schus for Shidi Rufu Shalema, for Hannah Perel Bas Shabbat. Now I'm going to introduce Rabbi Deutsch. Rabbi Deutsch's mic is a little muffly, so try to bear with us, but you can hear him. It should be David David should be super clear, which should go straight into our hearts. Avuri Deutsch is an amazing, is an outstanding Talmud and inspiring speaker. He holds the prestigious position of Meir de Asro at the Forest, Forest Park School in Lakewood, New Jersey. He's in high demand for lecture across the United States and Canada. Most recently, he was one of the featured speakers at the Good Convention keynote session. Born in Baltimore, he moved to England when he was very young. After graduating high school in the UK, Rabbi Deutsch studied several years in front of it. Brisk later moved to the United States. He studied in Los Angeles, California, and months of New York. In 2011, he soon of Israel, of Israel, David Montreal. During the body here of Montreal, the dying as well. In 2017, he took on the present position as the Rav, as far as practicing in Lakewood. And of course, I guess I want to say, Grace Yashchev for Rabbi Deutsch for coming on and uh, being asking to come on and being positive for Shona. Close yours, Rabbi Deutsch. Go The Gemara describes Klal Yisrael passing in front of the Rabbeinu Shalaylam on Rosh Hashanah like a shepherd passes his flock under his staff. And we say this at one of the most poignant parts, one of the most emotive parts in the Tfilos, in the prayers of the day, Kevakoras Roya Edroi, Ma'avir Tsoinoi Tachashivtoi. The way that the shepherd passes each sheep under his staff, examining them, so too we pass before the Rabbi Nishalayim. The implication being that the experience that every Jewish soul undergoes on the day of Rosh Hashanah is a profoundly personal experience of standing before the Rabbi Nishalayim. And in that sense, I feel overwhelmed by the challenge of giving a universal message 
of how to connect and be inspired and elevated by Rosh Hashanah. Because every Jew and every soul, with its greatness and its light, its complexities and its journey, its challenges and its triumphs, connects to the Rabbeinu Shalom in an utterly unique way. And the approach that works for one neshama has to be by definition different for another neshama. Every one of us will stand profoundly as individuals. And our task is to try and be able to connect with our own individuality so that we can stand before the Rabbeinu Shalom as the neshama that we are. Let's begin from the end and go backwards. The culmination, the apex of the avoida of these days, we know is the tefillah of Ni'ilah, of Yom HaKippurim. Those sacred moments in which we say to the Rabbeinu Shalom, you're there for every person, however limited, however blocked, however distant, you're there for them. There's an introduction to that poignant tefillah. And that is the reading of the story of Yoina. During Mincha, that precedes Ni'ilah, we read the story of Yoina. The story of Yoina is a story of a Novi, a prophet of Hashem, seemingly trying to escape from Hashem. And we're familiar with the storyline. He goes onto a ship. There's a storm on the ocean. The boat's going to capsize. He's thrown into an ocean, and the Rabbi Nishalem creates this most bizarre miracle of a fish swallowing him and then eventually ejecting him back onto the dry land, and Yona Hanavi carrying out his mission of exhorting the people of Tarshish to Bechayza Bechuva. How is this story in any way connected to these most sacred moments? And the answer that's given by the Chafetz Chaim is a lesson which we need to focus on before going into these special days. He says, Yoyna the Novi is a paradigm for what we sometimes do in our own lives. Hashem has a mission for us. He brought us to this world. Our neshama was brought down from the Kisei HaKavod to experience all the travails and the challenges, the joys and the sorrows and the profound journey of what it means to be a Jew in an alien world. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu decreed that the world's purpose can only be brought about when our neshama comes here. being able to grapple with that task 
to embrace it and to orientate and guide one's life along the path of accomplishing that unique mission, which is ours, is something which we so often find ourselves wanting to reject. It's so much easier to just lose ourselves in the oblivion of materialism and escape from spirituality. Because spirituality is compelling. If there's Hashem in my life, it means I'm created for a purpose. And if I'm created for a purpose, that's the mission of my existence. And that's compelling. And it's so much easier to try and reject that. To lose oneself in all the externalities, all the trivialities, all that makes life livable by the oblivion of avoiding the voice of Hashem. Yoyna did nothing different than that in his own way. HaKadosh Baruch Hu demanded from him a mission which he didn't want to accept. HaKadosh Baruch Hu demanded go to Nineveh. And for his own reasons, which admittedly were for the purpose of ensuring that Klal Yisrael should survive, rejected the mission. Going on the boat and traveling away from Eretz Yisrael means out of the sacredness of the land of Eretz Yisrael, Yoyno could no longer hear the word of Hashem, and Hashem wouldn't speak to him. The Chafetz Chaim says Yoyno was engaged in a struggle to escape the divine voice which compelled him to fulfill his mission. But says the Chafetz Chaim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't allow a person to escape that destiny. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu in his omnipresence and in his hashgacha will encircle the person, guide them, and eventually design circumstances so that they'll be forced once again to face the growth, the journey, the struggle, the challenge, and the joy that the Rabbi Nishalala wants their life to be. So while Yoyna is out on the sea, the Rabbi Nishalala creates an unnatural storm. He then goes as far as to bring a fish in bizarre circumstances to again bring Yoyna back to where he should be. And eventually Yoyna realizes that this is the purpose of him being the Novi Hashem and accepts all the challenge, all the agony, all the pain, and all the confusion of carrying out a mission which to him seems pointless. Says the Chafetz Chaim, we may even think that the oblivion of sin, losing ourselves in a world of anti-Kedusha, can provide us refuge from that incessant divine voice that tells us, I made you for something higher. I made you for something bigger. Your Neshama came down to this world because there's some task that only you can do. 
When we come to those moments of ni'ilah, we may be gripped by that despair and say, isn't it so much easier to just lose ourselves in everything that's anti-Kedusha? Lose ourselves in externalities that we know don't represent our inner core. Because if we do that, we can escape that incessant demand which says, grow, be, become, accomplish, struggle. And says the Chafetz Chaim, at that moment we hear the lesson of Yoyna Hanavi. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will never abandon us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu never despairs of redirecting our lives towards where we should be. There'll be a storm. There'll be a fish. There'll be bizarre events. Events far beyond our comprehension. Far beyond what seems quote-unquote normal. Because the Rabbi Shalom is telling us, I brought you here for something that's only you. The day that your neshama came to the world was the day that the Rabbi Shalom said that the purpose of it all can't happen without you. But that weighs heavily on us. It demands sacrifice. It demands a focus on meaning. It demands a transcendent life. And it's so much easier to lose ourselves in externalities. It's so much easier to lose ourselves in comforts that just allow us to experience life as a series of pleasures and just a series of sensual experiences. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want that from us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu demands and HaKadosh Baruch Hu expects because therein lies the excellence, the growth, the greatness, which HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to become. When we approach the Yomim Hanayroim, many of us are gripped with despair. And we see a world around us that seemingly is in utter oblivion to spirituality and to hearing the word of Hashem. And we think very often that the easiest option is simply to lose ourselves in that reality. What we now bear in mind is, is that we will reach Yom Kippur and the Elah. And in those last moments, we're going to hear that message that we're something else. If there's a neshama within us, if there's a chilek al-ikamimal, if there's a spark of divinity that defines what we are, we are never going to achieve and feel resolution, completeness, healing, we will never feel at peace until we're at least ready to accept that there's a voice of Hashem waiting to speak to us. When we have the courage and the strength to hear that voice, when we have the courage to give up the externalities, make ourselves vulnerable in front of the Rabbeinu Shalom, and say, Hashem, I've lost myself in something that's not meaningful and isn't me, 
but I don't know how to truly connect with self. I don't know how to truly connect with soul. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'm ready at least to make myself vulnerable in front of you. I'm ready to stand in front of you. And standing in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu means there's nothing but my neshama, my essence, and Rabbi Nishalayim. I'm ready to throw away, to reject, and to cast off any external things that I've used to define myself, but I know are not really me. I'm ready to accept that my career, my fortune, my experiences, my material possessions, even my social relations are not yet speaking to what I truly am. Because as a Jew possessing a chelik alukami mal, what I truly am is what I've been created for. And that's to hear that voice of Hashem. This is your mission. This is what's uniquely you. This only you can do. This was why you were made. If we're ready to stand vulnerable in front of the Rabbi Nishalayim and say, I may not even know what that mission will look like, but I'm ready to reorientate my life so that my definition is a transcendent one, so that my purpose is transcendent, then we're ready to begin the challenge of what Rosh Hashanah is. But like we began with, my soul, your soul, someone else's soul, they by definition have to be utterly unique. When we stand, we can stand in a shul that has 10, 50, 100, thousands of people. But that's us to give us inspiration. That's to set the atmosphere, to give us a sense of context. But ultimately, we pull our talus over our head. And in that sacred space that's only ours, we stand in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu alone. And in that moment of truth, we plead to the Rabbi Nishlam and say, Rabbi Nishlam, help me become myself. Help my existence reflect what I truly am. Because satisfaction, joy, deep inner peace, healing, the goal of the journey is to come back to self. And the definition of self is cemented in those moments that we stand in front of the Rabbeinu Shalom and accept once again the mission of becoming ourselves, the mission of growing in to what our purpose in life is. The reason why Rosh Hashanah is so challenging is because Rosh Hashanah is a day that cuts to the heart of the very definition and meaning of our existence. It's the day where we confront that most painful and challenging of questions. What is the purpose of my life? Why am I living? Why am I here? The world could be the same place with me or without me. What does HaKadosh Baruch Hu want from me? And these are questions which we have to struggle with. Because a life where we haven't connected to true meaning means we haven't been true to ourselves. We haven't truly understood what we are or what we should be. And as long as there's dissonance between what, how we act and how we project and how we externalize 
And that quiet voice inside, which demands that we recognize what we really are internally, then we're condemning ourselves to tension between losing oneself in externalities and not being able to truly connect with what we are. Rosh Hashanah is a gift where on the one hand, HaKadosh Baruch Hu challenges us with the very purpose of our existence. But on the other hand, we have the privilege of standing in front of Hashem and being able to plead with Him that even if we're not there yet, guide me so that I can orientate my life towards your will so that ultimately I can connect with my essential self. There is no minimizing the challenge of Rosh Hashanah. Because as we said, the challenge of Rosh Hashanah goes to the very purpose of existence. Questions which we're often very uncomfortable asking ourselves. Because it's so much easier to live an unexamined life. The most basic commitment that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would, is encouraging us to make on Rosh Hashanah is not to do A or B or C, but is, is a commitment to live meaningfully, to connect with self, to be true to what the Rabbeinu Shalom made us for. In the words of Rabbeinu Yonah, the Rabbeinu Shalom expects us to choose a derech, a journey, a path. And the journey and the path is the journey and the path of life. And what the Rabbeinu Shalom is giving us an opportunity is to reinvigorate and become re-inspired with living a life in which we are true to ourselves. If we're committed to living a life true to ourselves, then we are on that derech, on that path, to be able to fulfill the mission for which Rabbeinu Shalom uniquely brought our neshama to the world. Besiyat Baruch Hu should grant me the insight and the wisdom and the clarity to be able to join with all the neshamas out there participating in this special learning program. And together we should inspire each other to be able to be true to ourselves in our own unique way and to come in front of the Rabbeinu Shalom Kivakoras Roya Edre, to stand in front of the Rabbeinu Shalom and be able to genuinely say, Rabbeinu Shalom, connect me to my true self. Let me understand the purpose of my life so that I can actualize the purpose of my very existence. Beautiful, beautiful opening. Thank you so much. Okay, we're going we're gonna to take a poll. And of course, anybody wants to ask a question, please text our partners over here. The lot of questions go first. A lot of questions came in. And we're going to try to all get chizik together. Anybody has any questions, we're here to ask. We're, we're you know, we're So, we're here, ready to try to at least give us the chizik we need. Let's, let's start with the poll. Okay, it's a three-question poll. We can answer honestly. I'm just going to mute you for a minute if that's okay. Okay. As we're approaching Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, what is your initial feelings? Honestly, what do you feel? There's four choices. Do you feel very nervous and stressed out? You feel not interested, rather just wake up after Yom Tevim, you know, right when the Raven Simchastari is done, wake up. Um, excited for a time to connect with Hashem. Or are you feeling repetitive year in year out what are you feeling as you hear the words of Roshana coming next week second question what would you like to gain this year from Roshana what would you personally like to gain 
a close option a a year of closeness with myself and Hashem. Option two, my request I've been begging for to be granted. Or option three, a feeling of calmness and a blessed year. The third question, which was the one of the questions that somebody sent in. When doubting Rosh Hashanah, what do you think is the correct mindset should be? Option A, my personal list of requests should be granted. I'm doubting for A, B, and C. That's what Rosh Hashanah is about. B, <clears throat> trusting in Hashem that whatever he does is for the good. See, so doubting like, a, like an Evid of Nerabah, whatever Hashem chooses. Or B, I'm not sure what, what I'm supposed to What? C, I'm not sure what it's supposed, what's supposed to be the mindset. I don't know. Why not? Answer those three questions. We'll share the polls. Three more seconds. Wait, wait. Sure. Okay. Okay. Let's share it now with everybody. Sure. Okay. So I'm going to read it and I'm going to, then you can, we can continue. Three, the three questions. As we're approaching Rosh Hashanah in Kippur, what is your initial feelings? So 31% of the people say they feel very nervous and stressed out. 3% of the people feel not interested, rather wake up after Yom Tevim, Baruch Hashem. 45% of the people are excited for the time to connect with Hashem. And 21% of the people feel repetitive year in, year out. Rabbi Dutch, you're going to mute if you just want to say anything on the, on the first question. Sorry. Just click on the unmute button, yeah. Sorry. I know, I'm just making notes. Meanwhile, I'll read the other answers. This is the bottom left. Oh, there it is. Okay. Rabbi Deutsch, that's the first question. So most people are excited to connect to Ebershka. Second question. What would you like to gain this year from Rosh Hashanah? 49% of people said, like, closeness with myself and Hashem. 11% of people, my request, I've been begging for it to be granted. 40% of people, a feeling of calmness and a blessed year. The third question. When doubting Rosh Hashanah, what do you think the correct mindset should be? Only 7% of people said my personal list of requests should be granted. 77% of people, most people here said trusting in Hashem that whatever he does is for the good. And 17%, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be, what's supposed to be in my mindset. Do you have anything to add or say? Otherwise, we'll go to the question. A bunch of live questions. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll proceed to the questions and incorporate the various responses as we, as we address the questions. Let's start with the first few questions, then we'll go to the live questions. Okay, it's, it's one question, two questions, whatever, I put it together. What can I do this year, practically speaking, that will be different as the stuff I'm saying I'm going to actually stick and change for the positive? What can I do that should be like, you know, my Kabbalah should actually stay? Second part, a second question I put together, as we start with Shoshana, my personal feelings is I'm going to daven strong and have a meaningful tefillah and daven yantiv. But I know after Rosh Hashanah, I'll end up going right back to my bad habits. How can I really do teshuva that will actually last? This is the question, which is the question, really, that we all struggle with as we begin to approach Rosh Hashanah. I'd like to challenge the question itself. The question itself makes the assumption that action is the desired result of Rosh Hashanah. And somehow, if I decide on a certain goal of action, then my success or otherwise coming out of Rosh Hashanah will be measured according to how successfully and how functionally I implement that practical change. 
I would like to encourage a certain paradigm shift in this. In a way, we try, we focus on action almost as a way of avoiding the depth work which Rosh Hashanah really demands. In place of deep introspection, self-examination, re-examining priorities and purpose in life and the meaning of one's existence, what one's deepest goals and aspirations are, we say, well, if I try and do action A, or I'm able to implement action B, then since I've changed practically because I didn't do A and now I am, or I did do B and now I'm not, then that's sufficient somehow to feel accomplished for Rosh Hashanah. And therefore, we can't stick with that. We feel we fail. We feel we fail. In reality, as we mentioned in the introduction, in a way, the Avodah of Rosh Hashanah is far more demanding than that. The Avodah of Rosh Hashanah is, as Rabbi Yonah says, what derech am I, am I on? Where is my life oriented? What gives me meaning? What are my priorities? What am I living for? What defines who I am? And what's important to come out of Rosh Hashanah, much more than a specific Kabbalah or action, is it this or is it that? Is a, re- or is a commitment to reorientate one's life towards meaning. A commitment to spend the next year examining one's life piece by piece. How does this relationship, how does this activity, how does this possession, how does this facet of my life, how does that fit in my overall goals? It's that much more profound is Rosh Hashanah expect from us. And therefore, we can also, in that same time, be relieved of this artificial pressure of if I committed myself to do action A and I don't keep to action A, have I failed? The issue is not specifically action A or action B. It's a commitment to re-examine, to spend the next year invigorating one's life with greater purpose, with meaning and with inspiration. And that means that it may not specifically yet engender this or that change, but it means I'm ready to look at every part of my life, take it apart and see how does this fit in the person that I want to be and who I am. I'm going to examine toxic relationships or dependent relationships or relationships just self-serving. I'm going to think about what entertainment means to me or what being loyal means to me or what spirituality means to me and how much of my life is oriented around those true and meaningful goals. So we can often almost take the easy way out by saying, well, if I commit to do this small thing, so then I've done Rosh Hashanah. We want to be back on the derech. We want to be refocusing ourselves. And if we do that, let's leave that narrow focus on, have I exactly done this or that? But much more as, am I willing to be courageous enough to take an honest and hard look at my life and see, 
how does my life fulfill the ideals which I'm striving for? Or do I have any ideals that I'm really striving for? And that commitment to reestablish ideals and work towards them, that is what tshuva is. Tshuva is made up of the two words, toshuv Hashem. It's not so much focused on this activity or that activity. It's a focus on returning towards the Rabbani Shalom. Setting myself on a path which allows myself to be my life is orientated towards reaching the Rabbani Shalom. It takes great courage and it can often be very painful because after honest introspection, we can see that we've often exchanged meaning for prestige. We've exchanged internal growth for external projection. We've exchanged love for manipulation. We've exchanged esteem for belittlement and we're not being true to ourselves. If we're ready to do that hard work this Rosh Hashanah, we will come out deep inside without that narrow focus, have I done this or have I done that? We'll come out with a deep and sincere commitment to spend the next year casting off distraction, casting off banality, casting off what makes us lose our sense of self, and a deep commitment to return to self. I really do believe that each one of us, in the unique way our own will emerge from feeling deeply invigorated by that commitment and that experience. Wow, thank you, thank you. Um, before, before we continue, um, I know many people, the reason why we take small Kabbalists is because it's easier. And what you, what you just said is, is profound, and it's going to take time for a lot of people to understand. Maybe we can break it down to make it a little bit, a little bit practical. The, these ideas that you just said, to, to come up with one or two steps to make it practical, because a lot of people are just in that practical world. So what should I do? Hmm. I think probably the first thing to do is to divide the activities in life between growth and distraction. And I think we'll be jarred by how much we occupy ourselves with distraction. Whether it's losing ourselves in the constant distraction of technology, whether it's losing ourselves in the distraction of mindless entertainment, whether it's losing ourselves in the, in the distraction of indulgence, whether it's any kind of material binging or otherwise. If we are worthy to take a courageous look at our lives and identify one area in which we have the courage to say, I engage in that because it's a distraction and seek if we can exchange that with something which is meaningful then we've begun that honest discussion with ourselves of what defines me and what can allow me to grow. Let's identify one thing, which is clearly just distraction. 
and see if we can allow it to recede from our lives and replace it with something that's more growth-oriented and more orientated towards self. That would be a practical, a practical way of that. So an example that I would like to share is, let's say somebody is on their phone. If they can realize that there are many times they're on their phone just to distract themselves, they should start even with a minute, realizing that they're distracting themselves and try for one minute to be without their phone. Just that. And to replace minutes with something meaningful. Beautiful. If we think about, do we have the courage even to replace that moment of distraction with a moment of silence and contemplation? Do we have the courage to even be alone with ourselves? If we could make that small step of removing a moment of distraction and replacing it with a moment of meditation, that's immense courage. In our society, one of the most unnerving and frightening experiences is for a person to be confronted with themselves. Just a moment of introspection, distraction being replaced by a moment of silence. How many of us, just, just to give a very practical example, can't drive without noise? How many of us can't drive without something in the background which we may not even be listening to? Because the silence is too oppressive. Because confronting myself is too challenging. Take a moment of distraction. If it's not technology, get in the car and drive for a minute without anything in the background. Just yourself, the panorama, and your thoughts. Are we ready to look inside? If that's our commitment to slowly progress during the year, to begin to win ourselves of distraction and begin to have the courage to be with ourselves, we've embarked on true and honest Kiribati Amazing. Thank you. Okay, so here's another question that came in. How do I gain closeness to Hashem during Elul when I feel so far? I know, logically, I know that Hashem is so close to me, but I don't feel it. Also, once I have a closeness, how do I maintain it for the whole year? This question is actually addressed by no less than David HaMelech. Where David HaMelech describes himself as Be'eretz Tziyah V'oyev B'li Mo'im in a barren land without the nurturing waters of spirituality and connection to the Rabbeinu Shalom. And he pleads for Keil Ba'kodesh to be able to be re-inspired by closeness to the Rabbeinu Shalom. The natural ebb and flow of the relationship with the Rabbeinu Shalom contains moments of distance and moments of closeness. The same way, so to speak, in a relationship between two human beings as close and as intimate as that might be, the moments of intimacy and moments of distance, there's no, there's no, it's no less true when it comes to the Rabbi Nishalayim. The key here is, is that we can daven even from that state and actually express it as David HaMelech did and say 
In the words of the Slichas, I desire you, I seek you from a place of such distance. In fact, according to some commentators, the classic chapter of Tehillim, which describes tshuva, is Depth can mean simultaneously the depths of my soul, as well as the depths of despair to where I fall. And there is a unique form of tila in which we can then plead with the Rabbeinu Shalala, that despite the distance, we desire closeness. How do we gain it? We gain it by sincerely expressing to the Rabbeinu Shalala the distance that we feel. We can even express anger we can express resentment. We can express frustration with the Rabbi Shalala. Elio Anovi did it. Elio Anovi, when he cried out to the Rabbi Shalala in the, one of the most dis- moments in which Klal Yisrael felt themselves different, he said, Rabbi Shalala, You, Rabbi Shalala, has have made their spiritual experience and the challenge in that era of idolatry so challenging, so confusing, that how do you expect them to feel that closeness? And we can say the same thing. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you've given me such challenge, such confusion, such difficulty. Where are you? David HaMelech said, Shivtecha, umishamtecha heimayachemuni. Your stick, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He wasn't in denial. He described it as a stick. And he said to the Rabbi Shalom, from a, from a point and a position and the feeling of experience, your stick, I'm beseeching for your comfort. There's no shame and there's no pretense in coming into El feeling utterly distant. But the key is to then be able to incorporate in tefillah and express it and beseech the Rabbi Shalom to recreate closeness. And that's a tefillah that's answered. Mimamakim krasich Hashem is of the most powerful tefillahs that we have. Because we're from that distance. Our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is robust enough that we can express raw pain, anger, resentment, frustration, bewilderment, and a demand that the Rabbi Nishalayim reach out to us and give us that clarity that we desperately seek. And not just that, it's the Rabbi Shalom's wish that we actually dive in that way. One of the slichas. Rabbi Shalom, I'm so far, but I want you. One of the paradigms of, of tefillah, we learn from the fact that the Rabbi Shalom put Klal Yisrael at the Yamsuf, in a situation of despair because Hashmi'ini Eskailech, the Rabbi sought closeness through, through Klal Yisrael beseeching him to one again my dove, my beloved, in the crags of the, of, of, of the boulder. Hashmi'ini Eskailech, I want that closeness. The closeness comes from a desperation, and it comes from distance. That's, that's an... Uh, and it's all of tefillah, which has very, almost no parallel in terms of its poignancy. 
In fact, the tefillah doesn't even have to have words. If we think back to the state of Klal Yisrael in the land of Mitzrayim in Egypt, Vayitzaku, it was a, a wordless cry. It was the cry of feeling that we're lost. And that feeling has a few parallels in terms of its potency. And so therefore, how do I gain closeness? It's by pleading with the Rabbi Shem to give it to us and taking that despair, that distance, and placing it in the center of that feeling. Once I feel the closeness, how do I maintain it for the whole year? The answer is really very broad and, you know, deserves almost a session in and of itself. But I would make one point just as a sequitur for what we discussed, and that is that within the very nature of the relationship with the Rabbani Shalom, there are times where the Rabbani Shalom will deliberately challenge us with distancing. The Balatanya writes in one place that there's a concept of gam kiyazkin. A person can feel old, he can feel weak, he can feel worn out. He can feel that the inspiration in Aveda Sashem has left him. And the Balatanya writes that that's part of the deliberate process of growth. That the Rabbi can sometimes deliberately occlude the person so that the person has to dig within himself deeper draw on deeper resources, and then reach greatness again. And so even though in the, in part, in the, as the year will unfold, there will be times of distance, we should be aware that distance is itself a challenge which the Rabbi Nishalom places within the ebb and flow of Rabbi Sashem. And it's a chance for us to dig deeper, to draw on resources which we haven't yet been in touch with, draw on strengths we may not even be aware of, so that we eventually rebound as Ovdi Hashem in a more profound way. Let's go to a live question. You're on. Thank you so much for taking my question. Thank you so much. So, it's a different kind of question on the ones that you were asked for. How does a person, how do I respond? Because often I'll get the comments that you're just spiritual, or you're more spiritual than me, I'm just not so into it. And it's almost like it's so uncomfortable because it feels like I'm put on a pedestal, hardly know. And really, it's everyone's responsibility, and no one's exempt from it. And I'm really not holier, I'm just a regular person. But I'll often get the comments, and I try to respond, and I try to say, I'm just a regular person. They're like, no, no, no. You're you're really you're really holy. You're really spiritual, but it really bothers me, and I don't know how to respond to it. And and really, it's not the truth. Everybody's holy, and anybody and everybody could be holy and should be holy. So let me let me make sure let me make sure I understand the question. You're saying that you face a challenge when trying to inspire others in terms of seeking genuine spiritual growth, that they'll just say, this is something that's meaningful for you and you can connect to, but it's not something that is part of my reality. Is that right? Something like that. Like if we're just having a conversation about something or let's say I'll let them know about a sphere that's available. Right. 
the, the key in, in terms of trying to inspire someone else is firstly to I mean, I'm not even trying to inspire someone else. I'm just being regular. And they just look at it as if I'm trying to convince them of something, but then they'll automatically sort of put up their hand and say, oh, no, oh, no, I'm, I'm just not into those things. You know, I, I, as a sharing something more personal, perhaps, you know, as, as a Rav, as a rabbi, I often find that the way to be able to share something which I feel would be something beneficial for someone else, especially in the spiritual realm, is only meaningful to them and only impactful if there is a deeply caring relationship between us where the person who I'm addressing understands that the closeness between us and the relationship is such that I'm genuinely and honestly devoted to seeking what's best for them. And that can often be based on having done them a very practical favor or having in some way been of help or being there, being there for them emotionally or in, in a time of crisis. And once the person feels that the relationship is such that the person talking to them is deeply caring of them and would do anything for them if they could, then the person is ready to hear the caring in your message. And a message which is invigorated and suffused with caring is a message that's heard. So if you share something with someone, it should be prefaced by giving the person the sense that what you're sharing is being motivated and is because you are simply seeking to do them what to do for them what you believe is something that will be something kind and meaningful and good for them i believe that if that's what's underlying the discussion and the motivation is truly one of seeking what's best for the other person the other person will be able to receive the suggestion and whether or not they then decide to act on them, if it's right for them, will be their personal choice. But that barrier of this is for you and that's not for me can often be mitigated and strengthened by there being a sense of deep caring which accompanies the message. Somebody else has a live question, just stay around with it one second. Hi, how are you? Sound ready. Um, I have some question, which is uh, a little bit uh, different uh, twist to what it was. Is that one of the question is if I'm stuck in more in spirituality aspect of it, I feel like I'm not. On the, on the one hand, um, you know, um, I, don't, yeah. I, I have an idea of how much I've, I've done. I can see how much I've, damage I've done, what I've areas I've done, what I'm lacking in. On the other hand, I can see what growth I did. But I don't know if it's enough. I don't know how much damage I really did. I don't know how much growth I really did. And therefore, I get stuck in that. Not necessarily do I get stuck in trying to escape it. I just don't know what, how much I did. 
the Rambam tells us that the tally, so to speak, of what we've done and how much and what the impact is, is we never really know. Exactly the significance of what we do in terms of our accomplishment of the divine mission for our lives, or in terms of what you call the, what you call the destruction, is something which is impossible for us to humanly define. And therefore, us trying to create our own sense of tally and balance is really a futile task. Our task is to focus on positively orientating ourselves towards being committed to the journey. And in fact, on a more, in a more, on a more profound level, the greater growth that we engage in, the higher we stand, the deeper we are, the more transcendent our lives, essentially then past experiences which related to a less meaningful self automatically fall away. If we've transformed ourselves and are engaged in, so, in, in, in personal transformation, then actions that were things which we did when we were much smaller, when we were much more limited, when we were much less inspired, automatically fall away from us and our association with them ends. And as our association with them ends, they cease to be real for us. And that's the process by which, let's call it destruction, to use your term again, becomes mitigated. And so rather than trying to create tally, we can be confident that the greater growth we engage in, the more all that represents our past simply doesn't define our reality anymore, and so in itself ceases to exist. I'm going to ask other questions. Okay, one more live. Okay, you're on. Hi, how are you? So, thank you so much. My question is, my question is, what happens if you have so many things going on in your life? Like, specifically, I have parents that are both very sick and it's very challenging. How do you, how do you um, look within yourself to have the energy to like dive in on Rosh Hashanah and know that you're being, you know, doing as much as possible? Like if there are so many things going on that it's hard to really focus, like what is the suggestion? I think what might be helpful is to realize that the challenge itself is not coincidental. Meaning the premise of the question is that my life is my life. The challenges and, and the, the difficulties and what makes me feel distant and overwhelmed is my life. And, the, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu and my relationship is something else. And the question is how to merge the two. But the reality is the challenge itself is the Rabbi Nishalayim. They're not two things. The challenge itself is the context and the setting in which the Rabbi Shalom has decreed that, you, that the person will find meaning. And so if the, if the davening itself is hard, then it's that commitment and that difficulty, that challenge, that sadness, that, that's confusion, that is part of the growth itself. And so rather than trying to somehow accommodate somehow ignore it, despite it, accomplish, Embrace it. 
and find the means where within the challenge we can find the HaKadosh Baruch Hu there. In the confusion, in the challenge, in the illness, we have a choice to see the Rabbeinu Shalom there too. And therefore, tefillah can happen there just the same as it can happen in ideal circumstances because these aren't two things. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu has decided that the Rosh Hashanah of Tovshin Pei Gimel will be that challenging and that difficult, then that's by design. And it's then our choice to find the meaning and choose to, to say that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if this is the Rosh Hashanah that you want me to have, I'm going to embrace it because this will be my growth now. And that perhaps will be a means by which we can open ourselves to then find the meaning and the growth in this very challenging time. Rabbi Deutsch, I want to go into this goes into the next question. So it's a hard question. I've been davening so many years, so many Rosh Hashanahs. This person writes for a child, but let's just make it more for any personal thing that person has done for so many years. I'm starting to feel yish, giving up on it. How even should I put in my energy year after year when it seems to me that Hashem doesn't want to grant me? This is a very painful question. Again, the answer to this really lies in the words of the Novi. To all those, especially when it comes to wanting to start a family, the Novi gave us a voice. And that voice is called Chana. Hannah was childless. And she comes into the Beis HaMikdash and she prays. She's davening. And in that moment of her most intense connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the greatest, probably the holiest and greatest person alive undermines her entire tefillah. Can we begin to imagine the despair? Can we begin to imagine the pain that I felt? And it is that Hannah persevered, and she became the paradigm of tefillah. In fact, even in terms in the halachic realm, the means by which we daven is learnt from the tefillah of Chana. And the gro, the Vilna Goyen, gives us a sense of what that exchange meant. What was Eli Hakoyen, the greatest, probably the most, the holiest Jew alive? What was he saying to her when he said that take the wine off yourself? The gro says that in a moment of intoxication, a person becomes uninhibited. And what Amy was telling her is you're trying to reach too high. He didn't mean literally she was drunk. He meant you're trying to daven to reach a place that's beyond you. Like a person who's uninhibited by intoxication behaves different to themselves, isn't 
constrained, isn't limited, isn't constricted by what they are. And what she answered him is, A broken heart can reach anywhere. It's true if we want to look, says the Gra, at Tefillah in a logical, regimented, structured way, Eli Hayen was right. She was trying to reach a place far beyond what, so to speak, spiritually she could reach. But her answer was, There's something called a broken heart. And the broken heart allowed her not just to invoke the blessing of Eli, but literally to pierce heavens, to be able to accomplish what she wanted. For those who feel that they've darned and davened and are not being answered, perhaps learn the words of the Haftarah. Connect to them. And then when they're being read in shul, weep. And say to the Rabbi, I have a broken heart. Because that's what Hannah, who remained the paradigm of Tzfila for all generations, succeeded in her quest because she said, perhaps what I'm asking for is beyond what I can ever hope for. Or needs a schus and a Tzfila to reach a place that's beyond me. I'm putting on logic aside because there's something called a broken heart. If we can reach that place and genuinely weep, we are assured that our tefillahs will be accepted. Wow. Here's a similar question. I'm going through a few situations in my life right now, and I feel totally shut down from all my feelings. I haven't been able to daven or feel connected, and now as a Shoshan approached, I just feel lost. Help me, please. Am I a lost case, or is there still hope for me? I'm, I'm very glad that this question has been asked, and Kaddish Baruch has granted me the schus to have conversations with people who are in places of deep despair, very often because deep emotional challenges feeling very stunted in terms of their ability to feel at all. People in emotional crises and so on. And what I've often tried to share with them is that at this point, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't expect the level of connection which you know is ideal and you ultimately are craving. HaKadosh Baruch Hu just wants the commitment to maintain that sense that this is what you want and you're committed to the journey that will eventually bring you there. If you're committed to heal, inherent in that is, is I want and I'm committed to be well 
so that I can regain my emotional dynamism and I can be what I want to be. If someone comes to Rosh Hashanah feeling shut down, work with that. And say to the Rabbani Shalom, right now I can't feel, but I want to be able to feel. And I'm committed to the journey towards wellness and wholesomeness that I will eventually be able to feel. In Slomim, there's a phrase that a person can sometimes face deep darkness. And I'll say the Yiddish and then translate it. The person then says to, then says to themselves, Ich gloib as ich gloib over the Vulcanus decimus zu. I believe that I believe, but right now the clouds are obscuring everything. I'm not believing, but I believe that I can believe. And I believe that there's a place in me that does believe, but I can't access it right now. I can't connect to it, but I believe that I believe. To someone who feels shut down, Kodesh Baruch who just wants that commitment of the first step, I believe that I can believe. I believe that after being challenged by this, I can commit to the journey to become well. I can commit to the journey to eventually find light. I can commit to the journey to eventually be all. That's what we can commit to and pledge in terms of our journey towards Gostens to the Rebbein Shalom. Ich gloib as ich gloib over the Vulcanist that does too. If somebody, if somebody is in a challenge uh, on a soyan that they're going through, would you say the same thing? If they, they're not capable or it's too hard for them to get out of the soyan, but they want to. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. The first point is to, is to, is to understand that the Nisoyan is also Rabbeinu Shalom. Yoyna Hanovi in the, to go back to that allegory, Yoyna Hanovi in the fish, you've thrown me away. You've put me in a place of utter darkness. Who put him there? Who created the addiction? Who created the confusion? Who created the psychosis? Who created the illness? It's all Rabbeinu Shalom. To quote very familiar words from Nachman, but just to give them a little bit of meaning. It's been set to a, it's been set to a tune. In the darkness within the darkness. What does the darkness within the darkness mean? The darkness within the darkness means there's a level of darkness where I am aware that of the Rabbi Nishlam, and there's a level of darkness where I'm challenged to even see how there's ever a possibility of seeing the Rabbeinu Shalom in the darkness. Even the Hastara Shavasadi Hastara is Rabbeinu Shalom. And if we're courageous enough to say, not to lose ourselves, and not to lose to the extent that we can, not to lose ourselves within Nisayan, and not to just despair and let go, but to say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Nisayan itself is your will. And I acknowledge that Nisayin is spirituality. Nisayin is Kedusha. Because the Nisayin couldn't exist unless you were maintaining it. One of the most basic 
spiritual rules in the universe that we know is that even utter evil can't exist unless there's some Kedusha inherent. If we're able to grasp that, we're able to say that even the Astara of not being able to see how this could be Rabbeinu Shlelo is itself Rabbeinu Shlelo. And that allows us to then hold on and to see if we can still be committed to Ich Gloi Baz Ich Gloi. It's, it's so powerful what you're saying. People's questions are just amazing. So mine might be a little, you know, redundant. redundant but, you know, my problem is, for me anyway, it's not so much feeling distant, but feeling just, I'm going in, work, so it's a distraction. I'm going in with feeling a little bit like anxious. I think just uh, maybe everything happening in the world and some, and some personal things. So, you know, I certainly hope for good Kavana, but I'm just kind of worried about getting beyond just, just I, I don't want to just be plea bargaining to, you know, ask for things. I mean, isn't that, I don't know if that's real. I don't say a danger or risk. I mean, maybe it's great, you know, like Hana, you know, the, that, you know, to want certain things or really have an internal, but I, I want to, how do I make it just a little bit more of a simcha at least? Or, you know, how, can we, how, can we put, how can we inject joy? Yeah, yeah, at least in my frame of mind right now. I don't know about others, but I, you know. Let, 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 me, let, let me try and address that question yeah. by addressing another question, which is often asked, and that is the thoughts that we're supposed to have at really the high point and the focal point of the day, which is the point of the, of the What's the emotion? And almost unanimously, whether it's the Arizal or the Vilnagain or others, say that what actually grips us at that point is a feeling of sheer joy. And the feeling of sheer joy is come and comes from the sense of proclaiming the sovereignty of Akadosh on the world which means, in practical terms, the commitment, the joy, that living a life committed to God's mission and God's will is a life of deep joy, of a profound sense of meaning. The Bible writes that at the point of Tkia Shoifar, we focus on the joy of Baruch's majesty, that we are his name. We are his people. We're those who are primarily charged with generating spirituality in the world, with generating a presence of Hashem. That privilege, that meaning, the idea that whatever occurs and whatever circumstances the year will bring, I have the confidence, the joy and the clarity of knowing are all part of that divine mission and are all part of accomplishing the revelation and the dissemination and the intensification of a world that reflects godliness should give us the courage to be able to face everything that we're going to see. Because we know it was neither by happenstance, it wasn't random, but it was all ordained and designed 
to be part of the way in which we are going to fulfill God's mission. And therefore, we, we pray and hope that it will be good in a way that we can perceive that good and experience that good in a deeply pleasurable and joyful way. But we can also draw strength from the fact that whatever the year will bring is so profoundly tailored towards our greater sense of mission and meaning that even if it's difficult, even if it seems to be obscuring good, we can be certain that there too we're perceiving the hand of God. Um, so I'm, I just wanted to know if the Rav could just touch briefly on the idea of if we're supposed to even be asking for our own Vakashas and Rosh Hashanah, because I, I think I've learned in the past that Rosh Hashanah, you're not supposed to be asking for things. Um, so we're, what is that? Is, are we supposed to be asking for our own Vakashas or are we only supposed to be focusing on what's in the master? This is a question that's often asked, and I, and, and I appreciate the opportunity to clarify it. The answer is that if there is no contradiction and no inconsistency between what's in the Mahzar, the divine mission and the divine purpose of the Rabbeinu Shalom, and what we want for our own lives, then they're essentially one then there's no difference between what I'm asking for and the divine mission for which the Rebbeinu has created me. If we ask ourselves, why do I, what, what am I asking? Why am I asking for life? Why am I asking for success? Why am I asking for comfort? Why am I asking for everything that's on my, so to speak, wish list? If the answer is because I am seeking the means and the ability to be able to serve Hashem with clarity, with joy, and with profound connection, then what I'm asking for is part and parcel of the divine mission, and therefore is seamlessly related and incorporated in the tefillah. This, the, the tension that this question generates is because we often aren't sure and confident that what we're asking for is something that's even appropriate to speak to Hashem about. But if we self-examine honestly, and we say, why do I want that serenity? Why do I want comfort? Why do I want to feel inner peace? Why do I want all that I wish for? It's because I want to become an optimal person. I want to become someone for whom the difficulty and the darkness doesn't obscure my relationship with you. Then I'm asking for all I'm asking for as a means for closeness and as a means to fulfill my life's mission. If I'm asking for that, then there's no contradiction between the two. And when we focus on the revelation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's majesty, and we think about my role in bringing that about, then I can whisper a request to the Rabbi Shalom and say, Rabbi Islam, I'm committed to the ideal. I'm committed to what you want me to do. Give me the health, the means, the clarity to be able to do your will.
Rabbi Deutsch, I want to just the question with the other questions. You always know when you dive in, you can always dive in and ask that. In the Rav list a few places where in Roshona or in Kippur Davins that is appropriate Davins for yourself, for your children, for friends. There are specific places in Roshona and Kippur Davins. Yes. One can always, like in any monastery, one can Davin after, at the end of the kind of the very end of Shemona Esri, before Yul Arotzain, is a place which one can insert one's personal requests, one's deepest requests. I would like to preface this by saying the following. We often feel a tension that we somehow have to compile an all-inclusive list of every itemized need. And if we somehow omit it, don't mention it, or don't dive for it as intensely as we should have. So we somehow, we missed the deadline of the request and we didn't get in the application. It doesn't work like that with the Rabbeinu Shalom. We describe the Rabbeinu Shalom at the end of Shemona Esra as we request, you the rotson imre fi vehegyoin libi, the thoughts of my heart. HaKadosh Baruch knows what we want deeply. Tefillah is not just what we verbalize, but it's also an expression of Hegyoin Libi. Rabboni Shalom see my most profound wish, even what I don't know how to express. And so before answering the question of all the different points in which we can, we can, we can add those bakoshas, but the first thing to bear in mind is, is to say at the end of Shemana Esri, Rabboni Shalom, I may not even know entirely what I should be davening for. Rabbi Shalom, see my Hegyon Halev, see my deepest and innermost desires and relate to them and see them as expressed before you. So the primary place in which we can daven and verbally express Bakashas is before the end of Shmonesi, before you, Lerotzai. But there are many places in which we can activate Hegyon Halev. We can deeply focus about wishes one of the most poignant parts in Musaf is the tefillah of Zichroinais, the middle section of the three. Habein Yakirli Ephraim im Yelet Shahashuim. Klaalisol describes itself as sort of the Yelet Shahashuim, the, the delight of the Rabbinic Shalom. And the Rabbinic Shalom responds, I yearn for you. At that moment, we can often reflect, we, during the year I felt so far, help me regain the sense of, of what it means to be your Yelad Shahashun. What it means to the greatness, the exaltedness, the profundity, the majesty of what it means to be a Jew. And to be able to revel in the love and the warmth and the deep sense of internal satisfaction of to understand that the Rabbi Shalom, so to speak, yearns for the closeness. That's a point in which we can contemplate what it means to be a Yid and beg the Rabbi Shalom for the inspiration and the insight and the strength to be that. 
the end of the Brach of Zechreinus ends with Akedas Yitzchak, the paradigm of self-sacrifice, of Mesiras Nefesh. It's a point in which we can focus and say, Rebbeinu Shalaylam, I'm ready to do for you. I'm ready to sacrifice for you. Or you're asking me in the challenges that I'm facing in my life to give up so much to be able to do your will. Rebbeinu Shalaylam, see that. See my struggle. See the quiet Mesiras Nefesh that my daily life is. Not grand, not dramatic, but profoundly challenging. Every person has their own Mesiras Nefesh. When we are mispalal throughout the Shemona Esri, and we pray for allow us to be inspired by the awe of your presence. What we're saying is, let me see spirituality in a world that's so dark. The siren call of crass materialism, the siren call of the oblivion of hedonism and pleasure. Help me resist it so I can see divinity in a world that seems so dark. The same pachtacha. There's so many phrases like that, that if we just pause and think, what does this mean to me? What would it mean to me to have gone to go a transformative experience of being able to be so much more aware of the presence of the Rabbi Shalom in the world? How that would give me a clarity and a resoluteness to be the person I want to be. How much during Shefaris, the section of Musaf that describes the giving of the Torah, how we can use that to express an innermost wish that my children should be connected to Torah. HaKadosh Baruch will give me the clarity and the ability, the patience and the wisdom to be able to connect my children to what's so meaningful to me. Give me the means to find ways in which I can appreciate my child's unique personality. That I can appreciate the struggles of my child and be able to reach them in the same way as your voice reached every neshama that ever will be at Matam My child's neshama was also at Matam Help me connect that neshama to Taira. Give me the patience to understand the struggle. Give me the language to be able to reach them. Give me the patience to be able to accept them so that I can once again be the means by which they can reconnect to that shoifar that's never ended. So that the neshama can feel how it was present on our Sinai. Every section really of tefillah, and I hope this is coming through from what I've shared, and this is only a every section of tefillah we just need to pause and think what does this mean to me in a personal way and then think how spirituality a connection with the Rabbeinu Shalom a life reorientated towards his wish how that will be so much more enriching how will it be enriching for my children how much more it will be enriching for my relationships, 
how much it would make me the person I want to become. And really every section of tefillah is a section where the hegyon halay, the thought, can be welling up within us. Thinking, Rabbi Shalom, help me connect to the greatness which this tefillah is, is expressing. And every section of the tefillah really allows, allows for that. And if at that point the tefillah just, come, just is blurted out and the natural cry comes out of the heart and says, Rabbi Shalom, let me be. Rabbi Shalom, help me. Rabbi Shalom, grant me this because this is what I so badly need. Then it belongs in any part of the tefillah. Another point just to mention is that Chazar Sashat's time of petition, there are many of the many much of the liturgy, which is very, very profound and often difficult to access. But there's some Putin which are so magnificent, so moving. And during those Putin, we can daven for whatever we want. Just take for an example, the Piyot of Unusana Taikef. a description of how our connection to the source of life, our connection to the Rabbeinu Shalom, is going to be the means of the blessing is going to come. Sifri Chaim, the book of life, means the ability to connect, the privilege, the opportunity to connect to the source of life. We desire life. We want to live. We want to be alive. During the Nisanatoki, if we can reflect on that, Rabbi help me live. Help me be living. Help me be. isn't there to frighten us. It's not to say that if we get a request and the application is approved, we'll live in the reverse. It means here's the opportunity to grab life, to connect to the wellspring of life. Because if we choose to once again lose ourselves in externalities, Shalom may have chosen the reverse. We've chosen to lose that profound connection with life. Another point in which we can then quietly exp- express that wish to the Rabbi Shalom and say, Rabbi Shalom, this is what life for me is. This is what helps me feeling I'm living. This is what makes me. So really all of the feel of Rosh Hashanah allows us hegin halev. Practically speaking, towards end of Shemana Esrei, before you, Lerotzayim, and during any of the piyutim of Chazar Sashat, we can express whatever we feel. But again, just to reiterate the point, not to feel that somehow there's a pressure that Everything has to be on the application form because whatever's not there is not going to be reviewed. The Rabbani Shalom hears our Hekim Halev. The Rabbani Shalom knows our most profound wishes. Our ability to express them means to intensify our and to express deep desire for them. But ultimately, the Rabbani Shalom sees our Hekim Halev and grants us far more than we're able to express. Very good. Here's the next question. As, as a woman, I find this time of the year incredibly stressful and exhausting. I am home most of the days with babies and little kids. My husband is not around to help. I'm not able to connect like I used to when I was younger and went to school. 
Halachically, what is a woman's role during these Yom Naram? How should I feel the Kedusha of these, of these days while I am home? Actually, when I reflect on this question, I actually feel that a woman, especially one who's blessed with the role of, care, of caring for children, actually her Rosh Hashanah is far easier than that of a man. Not because she doesn't have to go and formally daven, but because, and I can only speak for myself, how am I confident that I've utilized and spent every moment of this sacred time fully engaged with the will of Hashem? But a woman who is engaged every moment with the most sacred task that a woman is ever given, which is to nurture neshamites, can say to the Rabbi Nishalam, davening or not davening, there's not a moment in which my life isn't an expression of your wish. It's often a point of contention and misunderstanding the bracha of she'osani k'sayinoi, that women say in the morning. Because you created me according to your will. The idea of being created according to your will means because the very definition of what a woman's role is, is fulfilling the wish of the Rabbi Shalom. Bringing life into the world, nurturing neshamas, giving them the joy and the health and the wholesomeness to become true of the Hashem is the greatest desire that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for his world. And a woman is occupied with that constantly. She has no doubt that when she ends Rosh Hashanah, there was spirituality in every moment of that day. We as men who aren't She'osani Ketzayinai, we need to daven. We need a shaifar from the Torah. We need a way in which we can engage. But the woman, she's nurturing Nishamas. When the mother prepares food for the child on Rosh Hashanah, the mother is creating joy, attachment, nurturing, wholesomeness. That is the prerequisite for that neshama to glow. Is there anything more profound than that? And at some point, she can whisper a tefillah to the Rabbi Nishalem and say, Rabbi Nishalem, every moment is given up for you. Every moment is given up for that sacred task of Shalsani Ketzayinah. That's by way of introduction. I'm jealous. But now, from perhaps from a more practical and halakhic standpoint, the first thing to bear in mind is whatever davening we do has value. We can feel that the Shemona Esri happened while our child was tugging at, at us and there was noise from the other room and the kavana was hardly anything. The tefillah is precious. And if it's even a few minutes, we should use the opportunity to daven and not dismiss it that 
precious opportunity by saying, well, my kavana is not going to be much anyway, so what's the point? That hurried tefillah, that whispered tefillah while the child may be demanding attention is precious. But the other thing to bear in mind is that if our children need our attention, technically speaking, a woman is potter from tefillah. Chafetz Chaim, Paskin, that a woman who is privileged and elevated by the role of childcare is technically potter from tefillah. So there should never be that sense of urgency that I must have and I somehow missed the day. If the halacha says that the woman is potter from davening, then the rabbi will send the bracha a different way. But in, on the other hand, not to in any way minimize the preciousness of even a moment of tefillah if we can grab that time. But in general, Every moment of the day is occupied by Kedusha. Our task for us children on Rosh Hashanah, if they're younger, is to create a joyous Neshama. And if they're a little older, is to help them find joy in the day so that their memories and their association with Rosh Hashanah is one of joy, is one of vitality, is one of utter delight in a day dedicated to Havid Hashem. So when they get older and are mature enough to appreciate the relevance of it personally, they will have an open neshama ready to integrate the joy that is part of their memory. Beautiful. Okay, I have two more live questions. Okay, you're on. Um, it seems that there's an inherent uh, almost contradiction between having Kavana, Pirashamilis, and using the Maya versus Hergish and the Lave and um, and you know being misspelled about our, our own Tzrachim. Um So how do we kind of wait, uh, juggle this and um, decide which which went to work on on which one and. Um, in a way, this could be an, an, an answer, but in a way, it's also a, a third madrega. Uh, that kavana is, in a way, gufa connecting the two, the, the lev and the mayach. And if we would try to do that, that you know, could be a, a third aspect that also is hard to focus on all three at the same time. It's 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 an ex, it's an excellent question, and. The answer really lies in the halacha, that the halacha we are supposed to prepare the tefillahs of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur before we dive in them. Which means that the actual understanding of the words, we should really come to Rosh Hashanah having a, a reasonable grasp of. And of course, at the time, you know, we can dive in with an excellent translation just to remind us but during Shemona Esri itself, there shouldn't be the need to, you know, so to speak, read up and the Pirish Amilas only begin during the tefillah itself. We should arrive with a, at, the, at the tefillah with a basic sense and a basic grasp of the meaning. And then, because we will already have incorporated that basic grasp of the meaning, 
it's at that point that our feelings can soar. And based on a introspection and a and a thought and a, a, a examination of the words and the ideas behind them, we allow our feelings to soar. So Pirish Amilis really should be something that's in place in advance of the day as much as we possibly can, at least for Shmana Esri itself. And then based on that, we then allow at the time of the fulfillment of the tefillah and the function of the tefillah to combine the recitation of the worlds with it, with a deep and a deep moving experience of those words be penetrating us and being meaningful to us so that the thoughts and our you know the storm of of our emotion can then merge with the, can then merge with the words and it's it's it is correct that if we are putting a lot of emphasis and need to put a lot of emphasis during the time of tefillah in 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 in, in reading so we understand the words then yes, we are in a certain way encumbering ourselves to make that process a lot more complex and in, perhaps inconsistent. You know, in general, this is a, a, a rule that applies to, you know, to all inyani mitzvahs or semes in a number of places establishes this principle that every mitzvah is established with a combination of avon yira, with deep joy and inspiration and with awe. Awe belongs primarily to the preparation for the mitzvah setting up the mitzvah in a way that in all its details and all its observances, it's in accordance with HaKadosh Baruch Hu's most profound will. But then when we are engaged in the mitzvah, the experiential part, the arousal part, the joy, the inspiration is what grips us at the point where we're fulfilling the mitzvah. And it's the same experience, I feel. Okay, Rabbi Dash, let's go. The last, the last question, and I have two more questions. Okay, you're on. Okay, thank you. Um, if someone had a very, very unusually difficult year with one thing after another, after another, like out of the ordinary, go on throughout the entire year. Does, like, I know obviously everything is, is Menashemayim and everything is at the same time preordained for Mashashan and Yom Kippur. Does, as, as a woman, would would it, would you say that that the person should look back on the year and say I I need to dive in differently this year on Rosh Hashanah, or just be macabre? This is what Hashem wanted, and I just have to keep doing what I'm doing, and has nothing to do with my davening on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It, it's an it's an it's an excellent question, and. Often the, the risk inherent in looking back at the past year is that it somehow generates a sense of guilt that if only I would have done differently, then the outcome would have been different and leads to a sense of real anxiety going forward that how do I know what really wasn't good enough last year so that I correct it this year. And really that just brings us to a point that we feel fearful and confused and really very unclear in terms of how to proceed. In general, in, in, in Yiddishkeit, any, any emotion or any feeling is only valid and is only divine and is only spiritual if it's going to lead to meaningful, constructive and positive change. Just engaging in guilt or self-incrimination or any other form of you know self-negation 
is only helpful if it's part of real positivity and growth. So I think the question to ask oneself is, if I do look back at last year and I examine my tefillahs, is there something meaningful that I can grow in? Do I have a clarity in terms of how I would like to grow and, 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 and advance this year? Or is it just a sort of almost fatalistic view that somehow I didn't press the magic button in the right way and I didn't get it right, so I'm going to try something else this year and hopefully I'll, have, I'll somehow hit the target. It's not like that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not you know, expecting of us that we should be able to accomplish the impossible by guessing some mystical formula or some profound secret which we just can't reach. If it's obvious and it's positive and it's clear how we want to grow, then engaging in retrospect is helpful and generates growth and progress. If not, that's not the wish of the revenge style. Uh, let's 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 touch on this question. I got a few different uh, emails on this. It's a two-part question. My teenager is not going to sleep or interested in school, especially with young children. What can a parent do to give his struggling teenagers positive feelings about yomtiv and coming to shul and hearing the shofar? Second part of the question is, and for the children that are completely not connected at all, what could the parents? What could you tell the parents to give them chizik as they approach Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in that way is no different than any mitzvah which we may find a child struggling with. And that is that our responsibility and our mitzvah as parents is only to talk to them and encourage them about and meet them at a place where they're able to hear it and it will be, some, and it will be a positive message which they can react to and set. So the first point to bear in mind is, is where is our, what's our child ready to hear? If he'll appreciate a discussion about it, if we feel confident that this is something which he would be ready to react to positively, and with a lot of sensitivity and a lot of subtlety, we can broach the subject. Remember that the child themselves are on a journey. Often know that whether their past or the present may not be where they want to be spiritually, they may themselves feel very distant from Hashem. And I think the basic message we could just give them is, however you feel and however you're ready to connect to Rosh Hashanah or to Yom Kippur is profoundly valuable and meaningful and something which will give us joy. Let them react let them decide what part of it they feel they can connect to. And we have to bear in mind, Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, as poignant as they are and as significant as they are, it's not our task to force it, to push it any more than any other aspect of their Aveda Sashem. Be honest where they are, be honest about what they can hear, be honest about what they can connect and will be meaningful for them. Share with them how anything that they will do maybe is precious. Share with them how anything that they do is profoundly meaningful. Share with them that any part of the journey is part of the journey towards the Rabbi Nishleil. 
give them that sense of positivity about how whatever they choose to be their way to connect to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is Ruchniyat. As far as a child, a parent whose child, whose child unfortunately is completely disconnected. And I think the, the language of the question was, if I could travel your brochure again, the language of the question was for that child. Um, for, for children that are completely not connected, they're not in the house, what could you tell the parents? They have, no, they have nothing with the kid. Right. They're going to Shana, the... right. right. There's a line in the Tefillah of Rosh Hashanah, that in, which is in the section of Shafras and Musaf, where we say, and That great day, those who are lost in the land of Ashur, or those who have been relegated, dismissed to the land of Mitzrayim, they will come back. A number of Mepharshim explain that Ashur Ashur was the most most powerful and most materialistically strong kingdom at that time of the Nevoah. And it means those that have lost themselves in the allure, in the attraction, in the glamour of Eretz Ashur, of all that Ashur represents. And those who have fallen deep, in the land of Mitzrayim, which is called Eretz which describes all the most base and sensual and profoundly crass aspects of existence. All of those will eventually be aroused by the voice of the shofar and they'll return. All those have lost themselves in the dream of materialism. And all those who have been relegated and lost themselves in the most profound and the most limiting and most constraining aspects of losing oneself losing oneself in sensuality, the Part of the message of the Shaifa of Rosh Hashanah is that the Rabbi Shalom has a plan and a means by which every neshama will eventually be reached. They may not be physically hearing the voice of the Shaifa this Rosh Hashanah, but there's a voice of the Shaifa that reverberates in the universe which eventually will touch the neshama. And at that point, a parent who is experiencing the struggle of a child who's over Be'eretz Asher, who's lost himself in the blind pursuit of materialism, or Nidoch Be'eretz Mitzrayim, who's lost themselves in the destructiveness of mindless sensuality, there's a shofar that will reach them. And our tefillah is, let them hear that shofar, and let your wish for their neshama be actualized. And that's our role as parents, and that's our deepest wish. Beautiful, Rabbi Deutsch. One more live question. Still muting now. Unmute. 
Well, I figured it out. Let me, somebody just asked a question. I don't know. We touched on it a little bit, but let's, let's bring it up one more time. Um, ask me to ask it. Um, we are waiting for children and we spent hours of our lives. Most of the world is asleep then doing fertility, fertility, fertility treatments. I go to shul. I spend the full days there. So, man, I'm so, I'm so exhausted. I feel my prayers are so drained. Any ideas to alleviate the stress on going into field into Rosh Hashanah? I, I really feel inadequate to answer that question because the, the pain is so is so is so profound and so deep. Somehow the answer that I give just might fall short, both in terms of my sensitivity and both in terms of the deep pain that that this Nishamas is, is you know is 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 experiencing. I can only paraphrase and take a page, so to speak, out of the Siddur of Chana. The Gemara in Brachas tells us the content of Chana's tefillah. And the Gemara uses the expression, Hiticho dvarim klape malo. Hiticho means she hurled things towards the Rabbi Nishalayim. Chana's tefillah wasn't a gentle tefillah. She demanded from the Rabbi Nishalam and said, if you've created within me the capacity and the wish to bear children, how can you frustrate that? How can you give me the impossible challenge of an intense desire and the means to have children, but yet you're withholding? Allow yourself that intensity. You can be metiach dvon klape malo. You can hurl your pain kiviachal towards the Rabbi Nishlam. And say, Rabbi Nishlam, what's the point of giving me this profound desire? What's the point of giving my wife the physical capacity to bear children? And yet she's frustrated. What for? She said, Barosa bi shodayin, Barosa bi meayin. You created with me all the faculties, all the physical parts that are designed to bear children, are they, are they purposeless? It wasn't a gentle feel. It was a heartfelt cry, a demand that the Rabbi Shem allowed her to fulfill her destiny as a woman, to bear children. I would say, perhaps don't try to be gentle in davening. Don't try to see if you can figure out some type of formula which will be the tefillah that has a skula to be answered. But be passionate and be matiach tvarim kapei malon to Yerubayin If you gave me the capacity and the desire, then you must fulfill it. And perhaps that will be the schus that Be'ezer Hashem will open the Shari Rachman. One last question, I want to go to closing. Um, a lot of questions together. In the past few years, there's been so many not normal personal tragedies, tragedies in my life. What is the message I need to take out of this as we approach Rosh Hashanah? How am I to see Hashem as a loving father when I feel he's been punishing me so harshly? This is really a very profound existential question. And probably deserves a share of its own, really, because this goes to the heart of the concept of Mir Sadin. We'll try and 
do this very profound question of justice in, the, in, in, in a couple of minutes. It's very important to bear in mind a very fundamental, it's almost, a, it's almost an axiom of Amuna, which Rabbi establishes in the, in the beginning of Shara Bez, of Shari Tshuva, that there actually isn't such a thing at all as the Rabbani Shalom punishing. There isn't such a thing. If we think about what the term punishment means, punishment to us always means the assertion of control. And we assert control by consequence. If a parent punishes a child, if an employer punishes an employee, if a student is punished by a teacher, it's a, it's a, a means by which behavior is manipulated and modified. The second aspect of punishment is the assertion of the superiority of the rule maker, so to speak. If a king is disobeyed, if someone is disobeyed, they reassert their superiority and their supremacy by punishing. Neither of those two, says Rabbeinu Yoyna, applies to the Rabbeinu Shalom. It's a posak. Ki es asher yehav Hashem yoichiach Every difficulty that we undergo is the Rabbeinu Shalom guiding our lives. It's not punishment. It's a means of Again, I feel inadequate relating to the questioner and their particular pain. But let's think about it. Let's take an example. Depression has been called the great gift. I have the privilege to know people who've undergone profound emotional anguish. The growth that they've gone through has made them more profound, more sensitive, and more nuanced than most. Someone who's gone through illness has been given the opportunity to shed some of their attachment to materialism, some of their sense of being defined by their material existence allows them to see and access a whole different sense of meaning. Someone who's undergone a crisis in a relationship becomes so much better a friend, so much better a spouse. The fact that the year has had exceptional difficulty means we can then go back and look and see how much we were privileged to grow from it, how much we've been transformed by it, how much it's reorientated our lives in a different direction because that, says Rabbi Yoyna, was the purpose of it happening. What we can do in Rosh Hashanah is say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, grant me the insight to see how what you designed for me is there for me to grow. Show me how this is related to my mission. Give me the strength to be able to go from it and the profundity to appreciate it and the clarity to be able to accept it. That's what we can come to Rosh Hashanah with because undoubtedly we want to merit seeing and benefiting from that difficulty, from that tribulation, from that sorrow. And therefore, our bakasha to the Rabbi Nishlelem is like David HaMelech ends, 
כי אובי ואימי עזבוני והשם יעשני. Support, all the natural support of אובי ואימי is gone. show me the way so I can reach Misha, so I can reach... Literally, it means I can reach a plateau, I can reach, a, I can reach some, somewhere flat, I can reach somewhere smooth, I can reach clarity. That's our tefillah of Rosh Hashanah. If it hasn't been a normal year, if it's a year where we're bewildered by what's occurred, HaKadosh Baruch Hu grant me the privilege, grant me the gift of being able to see sooner how this is integral to what I'm supposed to be as a person. cancer And then again, any inspiration or Kabbalah for people to take internet to be exposed for a complete full Shalema. Again, um, if anybody's joining us, every Sunday night we, we do the share. Uh, if you want to join us for the flyers at 848-525-0066. What's happening every Sunday? I'll send you the flyer. Go to menachembernfeld.com. Sign up for his emails. Get the flyers and the recording. Again, next week is Erev Hashanah. It will be a share. The following week, October 2nd, can be a big share with uh, conjunction with Kesha Nafshi, whatever, Mr. Weinberger, Mr. Russell, Rabbi Waiwai, Mr. Randolph and Zaretsky. The topic is Mr. Rachim, of Abadam, Mr. how to connect to Hashem's mystery with Kippur. My mom should be ready to hear Please join. It should be a very, very powerful and deep and meaning, meaningful. Tonight, everything is recorded. Is anybody In second, I'm just going to mute Rabbi Blaise for a second. So it's like make an echo, but you'll all mute when by the closing, okay? Okay? Um, everything is recorded, Mr. Shem. If anybody has any questions for Rabbi Deutsch, you can email us at coachmanachim at gmail, and we will send the questions to Rabbi Deutsch. Mr. Shem, if you have time, we can answer them. Um, tonight's year is year 117, and if anyone wants to listen to it tomorrow, Mr. Shem on the phone, it's 848-777-GROW. And again, I'm going to the advertising sponsors who promote us here every week, the Lakewood School, Rabbi Dinit Mozak. Elian Ariel from Five Town Central. Special thank you to Chayla Kaplan Shmuel Sam from JCN. And Rabbi Deutsch Ashkoyach for coming on and giving me personal physics for Yom Yerayim. Mashem, for all the hundreds of people that were here tonight and the thousands and thousands of people that would hear it. It should be a tremendous gift for you and your family. And uh, Coach Menachem, we're going to give a closing. And then Rabbi Deutsch, after you hear that you were to be part of such a beautiful Chabura, you're going to give some... Now the closing will come to you, like I said before. Okay, Coach Menachem. And like uh, I started in the beginning, I think many, many people have, have a different pers- um, perspective, different way of thinking, on different way of viewing things, and just, just the way you were able to put it down. Many times we see things and in our eyes, it's questionable and it's, we don't understand it. We don't know how. But it's not always the truth. You know, many times it, it could be, this is exactly what Hashem wants. Just by thinking different, seeing it from a different light can help us grow. So Mitz Hashem, um, everybody should be able to get the physics that they need it. I just want to add just one little piece. 
it's always important that at the end, like when you finish that day, when you finish the tefillah, when you finish Rosh Hashanah, always walk away feeling it worked. Always see that Baruch Hashem, it's, it's working. Your growth, your Kabbalah, your feeling, it's, it's, it's going, it's working. I'm getting there. Even though it's not perfect, and even though you're on that ladder and you're on a journey and it's, there's steps to get there, because if we don't look at it that way, we're just not going to want to continue. So that's for sure the Yitzhahara. You want to knock us, knock us down, just make us think it's not working, it's not working, it's not working, and then it's all over. But what we have to fight is say, it's working. Baruch Hashem. Is it perfect? No. Do I want more? Do I want different? Could be. But just because it's not exactly the way you want, that doesn't mean that it's not working and that you're not growing. Yes, you are in Baruch Hashem. You had a good year last year. And just, just by hearing that word, some people would say, really? Did I have a good year last year? And they think of the negatives. So you see where the mind takes you to all those negatives. Uh, I'm sure there are negatives, but where's the positives? Yes, Baruch Hashem, I had daven good. I had a good year. I'm here today. And Hashem should give me koyach, I should be able to daven this year and grow and continue on the journey and feel the positivity. So thank you very much, Rabbi Deutsch, for giving the physic. And Amit Hashem, we should be able to take what we need, grow, and everybody with their tefillahs, whichever way it works, to be able to connect Hashem in a real way. Rabbi Deutsch, before you go to the closing, all the people that come here on Sunday nights, and they say, Sana, Bracha, for the Oilam. Then go to the closing. The bracha, the bracha I think that I would most sincerely wish for myself and therefore by extension to everyone else is to really be able to sincerely express wherever we are, wherever I am, further, closer, whole journeying, our deepest wish is to fulfill that mission for which you created us. If we can come to Rosh Hashanah feeling then we've undoubtedly set ourselves on the derech that the Rabbi Shalom wants us to be. And the bracha is myself amongst all those who have just had the privilege and the schus and an amazing opportunity to share the Rechizek with is that we should be able to reflect in our lives day in, day out, and deeply connect to Ritzinayim Lasses Ritzinayim. I, the only, what I want to close with is first just again to express a profound, you know, proud appreciation and gratitude for this unparalleled opportunity that I've just been given. I don't think I've ever had the schus to participate in a forum like this and to be able to respond to such meaningful and profound and deeply and you know, deeply transformative questions. I would just add, end with a, a beautiful Hasidic shavart said by the first Lama Rebbe, the Yisoyed HaVoyda. There's a posuk in Kehelas, a verse in Kehelas, which says, sorry, it's not in Kehelis, I apologize. There's a passage which says, Musar b'ni 
Musar Hashem Beni Altimos, which literally is translated as Musar Hashem, the admonition, the exhortation of Hashem. Beni, my son, Altimos, don't reject. And his his Teichacha and his admonition and his exhortation. My Sokoits, don't reject. Because it's those who the Rabbin Shalom deeply loves, Yechiach. It's those who he guides. The Slanim Rebbe explained the verse differently, and he said the following, in a Hasidish twist. Musar Hashem. What's the greatest message the Rabbin Shalom wants us to hear? And the answer is, Bani, you're my child. And because you're my child, Altimos, don't lose that. Don't denigrate yourself. Don't limit what you are. Become all that being Bani means. Said the Slonim Rebbe, Musa Hashem, what's the most profound message? What's the most compelling message? What's the voice which the Rabbi Shalom wants us to hear? It's one simple word. Bani, you're my child. If we're able to reflect and internalize what being Bani means, then the Rabbi Shalom pleads with us and says, Altimos. Don't sully it. Don't lose it. Don't cheapen yourself and lose what being Bani means. This ultimately is really the cry of the Yom Neroim. It's the mantra of the Yom Neroim. To hear the voice of the Rabbein Shem that calls out to every one of us, that great Musa Hashem that resonates and reverberates within each one of us in, term, in, in, in exactly in the place that we can hear it and in the way that we're supposed to hear it. That voice that tells us, Bani, Bani, Bani. A year broke, but hopefully we had a year of growth together and Shem is going better. And I'm sure we'll see everybody next uh, October 2nd with Keshanashi program. And good to be Shantiv. And thank you again, Rabbi Deutsch. It was beautiful. Thank you. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes and it will be greatly appreciated thank you in advance